Welcome to the Paris of the Plains from Kansas City. I'm your host, Matt Hodap. In a way, this story is about the best friend that you could ever have. And it is also about ducks and about how can they can sometimes be one and the same. That's Hector. And this is the second episode of How We Got Here, Stories of Immigration. I don't imagine a lot of people have had much experience crying with ducks, uh, but I have. In the media, immigration stories seem to follow a set pattern. You know, person moves to country on a visa, naturalizes to become a citizen, person moves to country on a visa, finishes and goes home, person moves to country illegally, gets deported, person moves to country legally by marrying spouse, person moves to country illegally, spends life in fear of being deported. But what about person moves to country legally on a visa as a teenager, gets deported anyway while on vacation abroad, gets stranded in a completely different country, and, well, meets a duck. And uh, I can tell you that sympathy from a duck in the form of a long, mournful, heartfelt quack is the best kind of sympathy you can ever have. This episode of How We Got Here is about, yes, ducks, but it's also about how when you're an immigrant, even if you do everything right, sometimes it only takes one person in a position of power to make everything go wrong. This is Hector and the duck. I'd lived my entire life in Mexico City, and uh, my parents divorced when I was very young. My mom remarried, and when I was 15, my stepfather got a student visa to uh, study and to teach at the University of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Which meant Hector and his family would get student visas as well. So at the age of 15, as an immigrant in a foreign country, Hector started his junior year of high school with the same concern of most every American teenager. It took some time, but after a while, girls started talking to me, and eventually I found myself with a girlfriend. Uh, This was a really surprising and and seemingly unlikely development for my life, personally. Um, But I met this girl. She was amazing. She was wonderful. We became best friends, and then we were dating. She was a year ahead of me in high school, and she graduated, went off to college. Uh, When she came back from her first year in college, she invited me to go on a trip with her family. His girlfriend's family had been planning a trip to Germany. Uh, Their ancestral home. But Hector's girlfriend didn't want to go unless he could come with. So, generously, her parents accepted, bought the tickets for the upcoming summer. Except that as life continued for a while, um, she and I then found ourselves breaking up um, pretty much as the summer was approaching uh, for this Germany trip. We figured out that we made better friends than we made lovers, and we really liked and respected each other, so we decided to, we could just be friends. Um, I had just turned 18, so I was an adult, and we decided that we would be adults about this, and we could go through with this trip as friends, as friends who care for each other, who had dated, but that's okay because we're adults. Uh, and we, would even, we wouldn't even tell her parents that we had broken up until after the trip. We we're going to save the bad news for afterwards. But we were just going to get through it, and it would be great. It would be fun. It would be like a, a buddy movie. Which is exactly what they did. For two weeks, they kicked it around Germany, going to art museums, and eating what, in my personal opinion, is probably the best food on the planet, just like a buddy movie. At least until it was time to go home. 
her parents were the kind of people that like to get to the airport three and a half hours before the flight leaves, uh, which in this instance turned out to be a really, really wise decision. Because when we go to the airport, the official at the German ticket counter, um, you know, he cleared all their paperwork. But when he got to my paperwork, he looked through my passport and he just pursed his lips and he he looked uncomfortable and he explained that there were, that I was missing a stamp in my passport, that there that my papers weren't quite in order for me to get back on a plane to the United States. So at that point, I was a little bit unsettled, but I remember that Germans are renowned for their efficiency. So I decided that this wasn't a big deal. I was an adult. We, can, we could deal with this. He told them just to get on the plane. He would take a quick subway to the American consulate to get this all sorted out with plenty of time to get back. Don't worry, he said. I'll catch up with you. Famous last words. That's always what you hear in the horror movie before everything goes to hell. I was very honest and very naive at the time. I went up to the window after a short 10-minute wait, went up to the window and I was interviewed by the consular and I answered every question as honestly as I could. I, at that point in my life, was convinced that the truth could never harm you. So yes, I am a Mexican citizen uh, in the United States uh, with a student visa. Yes, my mother and my sister are in the United States with a student visa. Yes, I'm traveling with my um, girlfriend and her family. And then at that point, the German uh, consular, he just stopped me. And he very tersely said, you're screwed. And then proceeded to explain to me because I had all of these criteria, traveling with a girlfriend, having family in the United States, all with a student visa, that I was automatically illegible for a student visa anymore. So my student visa was instantly revoked. And then he took my passport and he uh, wrote on the, on the last page, three, three numbers and a letter, uh, 214B. I had no idea what it meant. And, I ex- and he explained that because I was too high of a risk to immigrate, I was now also banned from ever setting foot in the United States ever again. And I was completely dumbfounded. So I asked him, okay, so you have now effectively, just by writing 214B on my passport, have made me homeless and stranded in a foreign country with no family or any belongings, um, what do you recommend I do now? And he just impatiently looked at me and he said, if I were you, go home, meet new girl, and have a nice life. Hector, age 18, is suddenly homeless in a foreign country with no money. I had a very undeniable existentialist crisis. He was totally disconnected, unsure where tomorrow would take him or where he would even sleep that night. And it's amazing how a a city changes the second that your status to that country or to that city changes. So just two two days before, when I had been a happy tourist, everything in Germany was beautiful and classy 
and sophisticated and clean. But as soon as I was homeless and stranded, I noticed all the things that I had never noticed before, like the 14-year-old prostitutes or the guys selling stolen credit cards from a suitcase by the train station. And um, after doing a lot of research, I found out that um, the only thing that I could possibly do at this point was go back to Mexico. But it wasn't as easy as just flying to Mexico because 214B also meant that I could not be in American airspace. And 99% of the flights leaving Germany towards the Americas go through the United States. So I had, there was only one flight that left on Sunday at noon uh, that went directly from Frankfurt to Mexico City without going through the United States. So I had a whole week to kill. And one of the things that you can do when you're homeless and um, Deutschmarkless is um, go to the zoo. Uh, the zoo in Frankfurt is free. So I went to uh, McDonald's at the height of my homesickness. I went to McDonald's and I bought cre- uh, French fries on credit card. And I took myself to the zoo. Uh, and I just walked around the zoo for a while. And then I came to this area where there was a pond. Um, and then um, this duck came waddling up to me. And this duck was so messed up. It, I was, it was clearly not a good time in my life. But this duck was having a really bad day. and undisputably worse day than I was. Uh, his head was all bloody. He was missing feathers. He looked like a, a, a like a monk. He had this ugly bald spot with uh, scabs on his head. But I had french fries, and the dog came up to me, and he quacked at me. And I didn't speak German, and the dog didn't speak German. And it was the first time that week when that didn't matter. And... I sat under this tree and I would eat a french fry and I would feed the duck a french fry. And we just did this until we finished the french fries and he would quack at me and I told him my life story. And that's the best cry I have had my entire life up until that point. But I realized at that point that if this duck could be so damn chipper in spite of having had a much worse situation than I, that I probably was going to be okay and that, that I would make it through. So I went back to Mexico and I ended up renting uh, a little room in uh, somebody's apartment. Um, I, sh- I should also mention that this was in 1993. This was the summer of 93, which was, as most people um, who were alive then would remember, this is known as the year before the internet. So if all of this had happened one year later, I might have had access to email and some sort of rudimentary instant messaging, uh, you know, a, a way to kind of communicate with my family in the in Pittsburgh. But everything had to be done with uh, long-distance uh, telephone cards and, and using payphones. And Hector spent a lot of time on payphones. His mom was freaking out. His ex-girlfriend was freaking out. Her family was freaking out. Everyone was freaking out out. And after some research, it became obvious that there was only one way to get back to his family in America. Getting hitched. This is ironic, of course, because the government, uh, the the immigration officials uh, canceled my visa because I was too high a risk to immigrate. And the only way that I could go back to be with my family and finish my studies was by 
in fact, immigrating. My ex-girlfriend, who is really the hero of the story, and she's a, she is the true best friend anybody could ever ask for, uh, she just very um, matter-of-factly say, well, let's get married. So she dropped out of college, moved to Mexico, filled out the paperwork, and they waited. Until uh, three and a half months later, we got notification that, yes, the visa paperwork had cleared, so I could come back in the United States. So I had to take a bus. We, had, we took a bus to the border and crossed by foot, and then we flew to Pittsburgh. And um, two weeks later, uh, we were married. And we stayed married for five years. Uh, and through our relationship, it just naturally ebbed and flowed where we sometimes felt like a you know normal uh, husband and wife. Sometimes we felt like best friends who just shared their lives together and they were intertwined. But, I mean, the attachment and the love was real, whether um, it fit any kind of traditional label or not. So five years af uh, after we got married, um, we decided that that old bit of wisdom that we had discovered when we were 18 and 19, respectively, it still held true when we were 24, 25, uh, that we were better friends than we were a couple. So we parted ways, but... Uh, but we're, you know, it's one of those situations where uh, we're still family, for sure. Hector lost months of his life to this whole ordeal. And I wanted to know, looking back now, years later, was he angry? I had, like, I had white-hot, violent anger towards the German consular. Because to him... You know, dealing with me, that was 45 minutes out of his Monday. And um, and, and that was like at 9 in the morning, you know, be between 9 and 10 in the morning. I had no idea how many more lives he destroyed between, you know, 11 and whenever he went home. And that was just Monday. Like, it just made me realize the, the amount of power that somebody else could have over my life. Somebody who did not know me, didn't care, had zero sympathy, and was completely just so blasé and disinterested. Yeah, I had really, really just violent anger towards him, specifically. Um, but I realized that there was nothing I could do about it. And everything else, you know, the just the hopelessness, the complete uncertainty... It was so absurd that I had to admit that it, it was kind of funny. It just, it was almost like being in a game show. Um, but the prize was my future. But yes, I had anger towards the, um, uh, the Mexican consular. And the only way to deal with that anger, because I didn't, I, I, I realized that if I just lived with it and if I, if I stayed with that anger it would just make me bitter and eat me up from the inside and the only way that I could deal with it was through humor so when we made our wedding invitations uh, we sent our wedding invitations to our you know close friends and family you know really quick short notice wedding two weeks and on the front the wedding invitations said the immigration and naturalization service cordially invites you to the wedding off um, it was that kind of humorous passive aggressiveness that's really the only way that i could shake my fist at the futility um, of of the system 
Eventually, Hector naturalized. That means he became a U.S. citizen, a process that he says isn't like what most people think it is. Immigrating legally into the, into the United States, contrary to what Donald Trump might have you believe, it is extremely difficult and extremely expensive. Uh, it is pretty much impossible to do it without you know, a lawyer helping you out at least some of the time because it's, it's all legalese. You know, if you don't speak English, it's on a foreign language, obviously. Um, and it's expensive. Every single form, you know, requires, you know, one will be like a $40 fee, another one will be $90, another one will be $300. And it is slow and tedious, you know. So I find it, I can get very emotional about it. Uh, having, being an immigrant, I, I find it perplexing how people can be so presumptuous about and so callous um, about immigrants and about what they're going through. I find it, I, I can get very worked up because most people that look down at immigrants would not make it as an immigrant for one day, let alone a lifetime. Thanks to Hector for sharing his story with us. Paris of the Plains is recorded at KCUR Studios in Kansas City, Missouri, and part of the Fountain City Frequency Podcast Network. If you like this show, you should also check out What's in a Game. Not what's in a name, what's in a game. Join the nerdiest couple you know on a podcast journey through the best and worst video games. You can find that show wherever you get your podcasts. And check out Fountain City Frequency's other shows at fountaincityfrequency.com. From Kansas City, I'm your host, Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening.